So happy New Year, everybody. We're so blessed to see you here New Year's Day morning. How awesome is that? Y'all made it to church. So I'm Jackie. Today we actually have a special one-hour family service where you can see kids in the sanctuary. We also wanted to let you know that we have like crayons and coloring pages out in the foyer. Also, the chapel is open today for toddlers and babies. Today we have a special service where we have Brother Mark Enomoto speaking today. Today's word is from 2 Thessalonians chapter 1. Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, as is right, because your faith is growing abundantly and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness and faith in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. This is evidence of the righteous judgment of God that you may be considered worthy of the kingdom of God, for which you are also suffering. Since indeed God considers it just to repay with affliction those who afflict you and to grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. They will suffer the punishment of eternal destruction away from the presence of the Lord and from the glory of his might when he comes on that day to be glorified in his saints and to be marveled at among all who have believed, because our testimony to you was believed. To this end, we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling and may fulfill every resolve for good and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you and you in him, according to the grace of our God and the Lord Jesus Christ. Good morning. Good morning, children. Good morning, children. <laughs> okay, shh. No more noise. Okay. Happy New Year. Hope you folks all had a uh, great Christmas. Ours was nice. Canceled our plans, made our house warm, locked ourselves in the house because our two little ones had fevers. Aww. But so thankful for the relevance of the season and God's goodness. For those I haven't met, my name is Mark. I am... No one here, as far as leadership goes, but just merely the guy that got the text from Pastor Albert that they'd be out. But he's here, praise the Lord. And it's an honor and a blessing, and it's necessary that I ask for a little bit of grace this morning. Incidentally, that is also the topic I'm tackling. On that note, let's pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you for this beautiful morning and this first day of this new year. We just thank you for all that you have brought us through in this last year, and uh, all that you will bring us through in this year to come. I just want to lift up our leaders, our Pastor Albert and Pastor Steve and their families, that whether away or here, that uh, you just bless them in their rest in uh, this time of the new year. I want to pray for this church as we get into your word that you may soften our hearts and open our ears to get to know you a little bit better and to draw us closer to you. We pray this in your name. Amen. Okay, so just a quick background where we are in our reading for today. We're in the book of 2 Thessalonians. Paul and his fellow missionaries, Silvanus and Timothy, write to the church in Thessalonica because they had a great love and concern for the church. Prior to this new church, Thessalonica was a very paganistic and idolatrous community. 
But Paul was able to spend a mere three Sabbaths, and that would just be three weeks, in their synagogues, teaching them from scriptures that it was necessary that Christ suffer, be put to death, and be resurrected on the third day. There were many that received the gospel, both Jews and Greeks, but there were also many who became jealous and got the city so stirred up that the missionaries had to sneak away for their own safety. Despite having only a short time with the church of Thessalonica, Paul was thankful that they continued to grow, not only in numbers, but also in their faith and their love and hope. Paul's letters in First and Second Thessalonians were written to encourage their growth, to strengthen them through their persecutions and afflictions, to correct their misunderstandings about the return of Christ and how to live a grace-filled life. In the 13 books of the New Testament, also known as the Pauline Epistles, we notice a repetitive and common greeting by Paul. It's kind of his signature for these letters to give evidence that he was, in fact, the author. But I think it's more than just this eloquent uh, greeting because of his consistency in Paul's letters in both introductions and benedictions It must be intentional and worthy of mentioning, especially this morning as I'm on the topic of grace. So beginning at verse 1, Paul, Silvanus, and Timothy to the church of the Thessalonians and God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. Grace to you and peace from God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. We can notice that there are twofold relationships in Paul's greeting. First, between God and Jesus, which is of course important because God is the true source, the wellspring of all creation, and all work of redemption and salvation that has been accomplished through our Lord Jesus Christ. The second twofold relationship that Paul mentions in this combination of the Greek word for grace, karis, and the Hebrew word for peace, shalom. He says, grace to you and peace from God, our Father, and the Lord Jesus Christ. We see that grace and peace also have an ultimate source, God our Father and the Lord Jesus Christ. And then there's the relationship between grace and peace. I think Paul understands a little something about grace and peace, which is why he never alters the order of this truth. Grace is the wellspring of peace. The peace that we so often seek can never be experienced without accepting and knowing the true grace of God. Whether that peace we seek is with God, peace from affliction from others or within ourselves, peace with the injustices of our world, or simply just the simple peace we experience in comfort and rest. But in our normal day-to-day life, we can so often find ourselves demanding peace without really remembering God's glorious grace upon our life, which is why the Christian life is so dependent on the grace of God. Paul's next mention of grace is where we're going to go next in our text, but before we move on, I have a little grace story of my own that I'd like to share. So I'm a stay-home dad of a nine-month-old and a three-year-old. My nine-month-old Emmett is nice and quiet right now, but he can be demanding of his own peace right now, often. And my toddler, Cairo, well, (laughs) he's a toddler, right? So to say the least, I'm guilty of demanding peace and forgetting grace all the time. Yeah, there we go. When asking Cairo to do something that we need done, his most common responses are, no, I don't want to, and a couple of good things uh, he's picked up from preschool is no way and <laughs> mm, that's a funny one, right, kids? Uh. So when our conversations with him go, it's time to get ready. No, it's time for nap time. I don't want to. 
It's time to eat. You know how that would kind of upset our routines and our schedules. But that wasn't the big issue for us. The big issue for us was what it was doing to our patients and their overall peace in our home. Because of my son's continuous disobedience, <laughs> my patients got increasingly fragile and I would just become so easily angered. Of course, my wife and I shared many conversations and prayers over this. We were just at loss at what to do. No matter how many times you read the Jonah story, it's still just a cute little guy and a cute big fish, right? So it was just battle after battle. As I kept demanding obedience, I was becoming less and less capable of extending grace of my own. My daily struggle with this would often leave me so grieved and drained and very often to repentance and prayer. One day I came across a webinar, I didn't know this was a thing, on Facebook, on how to get your children to listen. Now, you know you're at the end of your rope when you start clicking on those type of things, right? <laughs> I didn't watch the webinar, in case you're wondering, but I was curious, so I began flipping through the comments. Some parents were like us, who were looking for some good advice. And of course, there were those who were just mean and rude. But one comment that stuck out to me was a parent who simply said she spoke peacefully and quietly, and overall, her children were very obedient. Hmm. Initially, I was like, whatever. <laughs> I've done that. That doesn't work. But I was emotionally exhausted and felt like I couldn't fight his resistance anymore. So that's what I chose to do. I laid down my pride. I released the grip of control over the situation. I tried my hardest to be patient, speaking calmly and softly. Not easy. At first, I spoke with no energy, almost defeated. Cairo, please. Eat your breakfast. Sometimes I had to turn away, Lord, give me patience. <laughs> I had to clench my jaw, take a deep breath before even speaking. Then I noticed that he actually started to listen a little more with me having to ask a little less. We weren't feeding this flame with this back and forth frustration with each other. And then this was the eye opener. Hey, calm down over there. Sometimes I had to get down on my knees to get a little closer so that he could hear my calm and softer voice, what happened was that would open up an opportunity for a hug or a gentle touch. With less time spent on fighting each other, separating us from being in good relationship, more time opened us for us to have a fuller, more loving relationship. Ironically, this is often what my relationship with God looks like, maybe with yours as well. Of course, we'll continue to work on this for the next 20 so years. But at the end of that first night, my wife and I sat down and we shared and I was just so humbled. I received a little bit of peace. And what I realized was this, Cairo never stopped being the sweet, loving boy we thought we were losing. He always was. It was pretty much my sin of pride, wrong thinking, impatience that was separating me from experiencing a better relationship with him. But it wasn't just with Cairo. It was with God and all his grace and all his mercy. There's nothing more sanctifying than marriage and children. God again and again turns our world and moments in our lives so upside down that sometimes it takes things like trials, pain, grief, loss 
to refocus to see his goodness. I don't know if you've ever seen an auto-stereogram image, but it's also known as magic eye. Maybe you might have seen the movie Marrats and there's a magic eye scene. But if you look at it with just your plain eyes, it looks like a mess, right? It's all stretched out or distorted. You often have to sit with it and spend time with it. And what you have to do is release your focus and diverge your eyes. You have to separate from your common vision in another direction. What happens is you're able to see what the creator wanted you to see. You no longer see this flat 2D image, but rather a 3D image that has width, height, and depth. And the Christian life is just like this. When we look at our world, it seems so wacky and distorted. And maybe sometimes we get frustrated and question, what is God doing here? Sitting with things like this, working it out, diverging our hearts and minds to see the depth of his work is all part of living in his grace. And there's also a wonderful mystery of the working of God's grace. It's like when we flick on the light switch and the lights turn on. We kind of take for granted once the lights are on, we're able to walk and do things we otherwise wouldn't be able to do in the dark. But what's all that electric current that makes all that stuff happen? What do we need to do to make all that stuff happen so we may be experiencing light? God's grace and God's power covers all of that, from initiating our faith to making it work and experiencing his glory. So first, what is grace? We all kind of know the definition of grace as the free and unmerited favor of God towards man. This free and unmerited favor so describes the character of God. This doesn't simply mean that God likes us. Instead, it's very loving and intimate and personal. Finding favor reveals an attentive watchfulness over us, similar to that over a parent, over his child, maybe a referee or judge over a competitor, an employer over an employee. But if we're truly seeking him, the difference in God's favor for us is it's given freely and there's nothing we can do to be deserving of his favor. No matter how obedient or disobedient we are, doesn't matter how capable or incapable we are of winning or being the best, or it doesn't matter how hard we work to be deserving of our earnings. A.W. Tozer speaks of grace this way, the grace of God is infinite and beyond our ability to measure. His grace has no beginning, therefore no end. Sometimes in trying to understand grace, it is difficult to unpack because our own grace is so limited. It's like a tide pool. Tide pools are cool, but in relating it to grace, it's confined, it's unable to extend beyond its capacity, it comes and goes with the tide, and although it's got some life in it, it's really not a good representation of the ocean. God's grace is vast like an ocean. It's moving, full of power, full of life, and it's endless. It has no beginning and therefore no end. One last truth about grace is that it has been forever intentionally moving since the beginning of time. God's grace is past, it's present, and it's future. It's definitely present right now in this very moment in your seat, in this building, and maybe in this current season of your life. And we all have stories of different sizes and shapes that reveals God's grace in our past. I'm so thankful for God's grace upon my life, but his grace for me goes far beyond my life. God's grace goes back to the resurrection. It goes back to the cross on Calvary. 
God's grace goes back to that dirty manger where he gives himself a name, a face, flesh, and blood. God's grace goes back further with Moses and the Exodus, with Noah and the flood, with the fall of man, with the creation of man, but also before the very beginning when God first breathed out creation. God's grace for us existed when he chose us to have a relationship with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Ephesians 1, 4 through 6, even as he chose us in him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before him. In love, he predestined us for adoption to himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of his will, to the praise of his glorious grace with which he has blessed us in the beloved. And finally, we are stepping in God's future grace. With each breath he gives us, with each moment to come and much further into the distant future. As we're journeying through this life, walking with Christ, working out our faith, God is sanctifying us. You're bringing him glory in Christ. Not only in his future return, but for our future eternity with him. In his book, Habits of Grace, the author David Mathis speaks of the importance of grace in the Christian life. He writes, The Christian life from start to finish is utterly dependent on the grace of God. Not only do we come into spiritual life by sheer grace, but it is in divine grace that we continue on. It is by God's grace that our souls survive through many trials, are strengthened for everyday life, and grow into greater maturity and health. And it is God's grace that enables us to make choices and to expend effort to seek more of God. It is a gift that we would have desire for and take action to avail ourselves of the means of God's grace, his voice, his ear, and his people. So we've defined grace, and we see it as very necessary in the Christian life. We're going to go back to our text, and we'll take a look at two ways of looking at grace in a Christian life. First, what is the evidence of a grace-filled life? And this is kind of an outside-looking-in perception. And also, what does the process of being in God's grace look like? And this is, what's the work that is going on within us? So in verse 11 and 12, Paul writes, To this end we always pray for you, that our God may make you worthy of his calling, and may fulfill every resolve for good, and every work of faith by his power, so that the name of our Lord Jesus may be glorified in you, and you in him, according to the grace of our God and Lord Jesus. So this end that Paul is talking about, he mentions in verse 7 and 8. He writes, To grant relief to you who are afflicted as well as to us when the Lord Jesus is revealed, from heaven with his mighty angels in flaming fire, inflicting vengeance on those who do not know God and on those who do not obey the gospel of our Lord Jesus. So Paul is referring to the day of the Lord, the decisive second coming of Jesus when all believers are caught up with him in heaven. And that's where living a graceful life is leading us into eternity. Next, the evidence of this grace, so life that Paul speaks of, is seen in verse 3 and 4. He writes, We ought always to give thanks to God for you, brothers, and it is right, because your faith is growing abundantly, and the love of every one of you for one another is increasing. Therefore, we ourselves boast about you in the churches of God for your steadfastness in faith and in all your persecutions and in the afflictions that you are enduring. So my first point is this. We can recognize a grace-filled life as one that is a faith that is visibly growing, whose love for others is increasing. But sometimes it's not just the growth that necessarily makes us notice, but it's being steadfast in hope. It's faithfully pressing on in the midst of pains and hardships, so again, we recognize a graceful life as one that is visibly growing, a love that is increasing, 
and it is steadfast. And going back to the analogy of light switch, we see the light turning on, but what's all that stuff that's happening behind the switch and the walls? That leads me to my next question. What does the process of being in God's grace look like? So again, looking at verse 11 and 12, we're made worthy of his calling. He fulfills our resolve for good, and he fulfills every work of faith. Now, this is not a checklist. None of this transformation happens on our own strength. It is all powered by God, which is why he gets all the glory. And all of this is according to God's grace. So the first process of being in God's grace is we're being made worthy of his calling. Because we live in such a deserving kind of culture, I did this much work, therefore I deserve this much in return. We need to remember that being made worthy does not mean we can make ourselves deserving of his calling, which is to dwell with him in his kingdom. Rather, God in his loving kindness prepares us ever so increasingly, not calling us to uncleanliness, but to holiness and truth, sanctifying us. God's grace doesn't disable us, It doesn't make us worthless. God's grace enables us to walk worthily of the calling which we have been called. Another process of being in God's grace is he fulfills every resolve for good. The Christian life is a life of resolving or problem-solving for his good. Not our own good, but for his good so that we may be worthy of his glory. With this being New Year's, a lot of people have New Year's resolutions. For many different reasons, be it health, weight loss, money, family. 45% make resolutions, 49% have infrequent success, 24% fail, and only 8% actually succeed. Call me harsh, but infrequent success is failing, right? No? Yeah. But as people look at our failure when it comes to resolving matters in our life, we're weak when it comes to our own will and strength which is why we so need God's power and his strength alone. Ephesians 2, 8, For by grace you have been saved through faith. And this is not your own doing, it is the gift of God. When it comes to the Christian life, we're not just resolving matters in the beginning of the year. We're resolving daily, aren't we? What are we resolving? Could be an ongoing sin in your life. Could be an injustice in the world. Could be loss or an issue with a family or friend. This list of matters that we try to overcome go on and on. Carrying that weight on our own is overwhelming, which is why we so need to walk alongside Jesus, hearing his voice through his word and prayer and resting in his strength. Jesus said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. Now the last process of being in God's grace is he fulfills every work of faith. The work of faith is another concept we need to diverge our thinking from so that we don't get overly caught up in Christian busyness and social activity. There is work in fellowship that is prompted and carried out by faith, But here, it's God's work of faith that is transforming our hearts and perfecting our faith to be suitable to be a walking display for his glory. So finally, I'm going to wrap it all up by reiterating what David Mathis calls the means of God's grace. 
And it's by sheer grace alone that we even have these means to God's grace, which is to read our Bible, to pray, and to fellowship. Read your Bible. Read your Bible as if your life depends on it, because eternally it does. Don't read for a quick fix or so you can check it off your to-do list for today. God's word is his voice being spoken personally to you. Aim to settle down, hearing from him, to meditate, to seek, to understand, be amazed. Everything has been written for you, for your encouragement, for your instruction, and your correction to make you worthy. Pray. Pray to have a true relationship with God. Pray privately, pray with others, pray for others, and pray unceasingly. Don't just pray to speak, but pray and listen. And fellowship. Fellowship corporately like we are doing now, like Jesus did with his multitudes, or in smaller groups, or with more personal relationships like Jesus did with his disciples. We weren't made to worship God alone. We were made to worship God together so that we may share these means of prayer and God's word together. Easy, right? I know a lot of you already do this really well, and maybe some of us just need a jump start. But if you take a look at your walk and maybe you're seeing that your faith is not growing, maybe it's plateaued, maybe you find extending love really hard to do. Wherever you may be, my encouragement and prayer for you this morning is that these simple disciplines bring you into a more loving, more fruitful, more graceful relationship with Jesus. Let's pray. Lord, I thank you for being the good and loving Father that you are. That despite all our weakness, you have allowed your grace to be sufficient. Lord, I pray that we be a church that continues to be amazed at who you are, what you've done, what you will do for your kingdom and your glory here in our hearts, in Oakland, as it is in heaven. Amen.